I have tried to become a bit of a student for the book of Acts. Um, I'm still working at it. I love the book of Acts. I think it's exciting to me to see how the the church has grown and um, to be very thankful for some of what we have experienced. We left off in Acts chapter 13, and we took a look at the, the initiating uh, the initiating principles, the initiation of the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And we saw how the church had a part in that and uh, what the church was doing. So we catch up with uh, the first missionary journey. We have Paul, we have Barnabas, we have another guy named John Mark. This would be a nephew to Barnabas, as most would believe. And um, the three of them set out and start their missionary journey. Um, they, they leave and go f- um, uh, end up actually going over to uh, the island of Crete, and um, I'm sorry, Cyprus. Cyprus. And um, when they're at Cyprus, they go to Salamis, and he preaches there. And um, a, a lot of events happen in Salamis. From Salamis, they go back up to the mainland, and this is where we would see them in South Turkey, uh, as we would know it. Um, and... Um, the area of uh, uh, Phrygian, Pam, uh, Paphos, uh, and Perga, and Pamphylia. By the time we get to Acts 13, 13, we find something happens. We see that John Mark departs. He leaves the group. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why he left. Maybe he couldn't put up with the persecution. Maybe he couldn't put up with the rigors. Maybe he just wasn't ready for what was in store, the hardships of ministry. Now, I bring that to your attention because there's a lot of disappointment that sometimes goes along with ministering for Christ. That's the fact. If you want to be a Christian, you aren't ready for any, uh, you know, any of the clouds that sometimes accompany Christianity. Uh, you're, 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 I don't know what you're doing. You're, you're in some other some other time zone or something, some other world, a parallel world. I mean, this just goes along with it. Uh, you, you can't shine light in darkness and, and, and expect darkness is going to jump for joy. It's not going to happen. It's going to flee. It's going to be upset. And, and that's exactly where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark found themselves. So we see in Acts 13, 13, now when Paul and his company loose from um, Paphos, they came to Perga and in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, this made a big impact. Matter of fact, it made such an impact on the Apostle Paul that later on, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas will split over this action of John Mark, this very action. And, 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 and uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him and I believe he has the spirit of reconciliation and, and, and grooming and encouragement, and that seems to be um, the, the makeup of Barnabas. Paul, he's just, matter of fact, he's a man set, he has a vision, he wants to get going, he wants to accomplish it, and quite honestly, he's going to make the hard calls that need to be made so he can get what he wants to do done. Um, Right or wrong, we don't have commentary of right or wrong. We just know it happened. Later on, at the end of Paul's ministry, 2 Timothy, he beckons John Mark to come. He's profitable for the ministry. So whatever Barnabas did, there was reconciliation. And Paul saw it and noted it and commended him for it. 
Praise the Lord for that. I, I really mean it. But at this part of the ministry, there's some tension that, that has happened, and there's some disappointment associated with it. Uh, folks, in your ministry, in your, your Christianity, chances are if you are living strong Christianity, there will be some disappointments that come your way. Get ready for it. Uh, be like a Daniel. Daniel purposes in his heart that he'll not defile himself by eating the king's meat. Well, purpose in your heart that you're not going to be overwhelmed, not going to quit, not going to give up, not going to run when the trials come. You belong to the Lord. Let the Lord have you. The Lord knows what's going on. It's not like a surprise to God. Hey, God, I'm going to surprise you. Poof, you know. Are you kidding me? God knows what's going on. Let's let him have his way with us. And, and let's be the Christian we ought to be. Well, we move from this area of, of um, Pamphylia, and um, we see that they, they go into Antioch. Uh, and and um, that, that would be uh, verse 14, when they depart from uh, Perga, uh, they came to Antioch in uh, Pisidia, and went, and here's, here's, Paul's, here's Paul's MO. He goes into the synagogue and he preaches. And he preaches, and by the time we get to um, verse 44, we find a couple of things happening. Verse 44, um, the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city comes together to hear the word of God. The Jews finally reject what he has to say. They get in a hissy fit, and some believe and some leave, and then he goes to the Gentiles. And the whole city comes out to hear what Paul has to say. Uh, In other words, Paul's tactic is always going to be go to the synagogue first and then to the Gentile, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. When he gets to Philippi in the Macedonian vision, they don't even have a synagogue, but he goes to the riverside. You'll remember that. He goes to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Well, it wouldn't be bad if it was just dialogue about that. You know, here he is, this is what he does, that's nice and everything, but... There's always some baggage that accompanies that. Look at verse 50. Verse 50 says, uh, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. They shook the dust off their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So there is proclamation, there is uh, clearly a, a, a stirring up, that's the wording that they use, and sometimes that's associated with expulsion, and they go to the next city and they start all over again. Now, going into uh, uh, chapter 14, and I want to go through the first seven verses of 14, we'll end up with about an 11-verse block of of Scripture to consider. But I want you to note a theme. And it's sort of interesting. If we see the theme, we can anticipate that it might come into our life, that we can prepare for this theme. The first thing he does is, verse 49, 1349, he published throughout all the region. He preached the word. The second thing we see is that the Jews stirred up the devout women. So there's the word of God, there's the stirring up, which ultimately leads to verse 50, expelling them out of the coast. And he moves on to the next one. 
We get to 14, verse 1. It came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. Here we go again. And so spake the preaching of the word, that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up. There's the preaching, then there's the reaction, both good and bad. They stir up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Look at verse 3. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly, preaching the word. Here we go again. In the Lord, um, and gave testimony unto the words of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Now, this shouldn't take us by surprise. When there is the word of God presented there are going to be decisions made about it. People are going to accept it or they're going to reject it. Now, folks, grab a hold of that. It's not like if we are clean, if we are presenting the word of God graciously, humbly, perhaps even bathed with tears and heartache over the lost and the consideration of where the lost are going to spend their eternity, if we're doing our job, then we've got to let God do his job. And we've got to let the recipients do their job. And some will hear and believe and get saved. Some will hear and, be and reject and perish. And I can't help that. My job isn't to save Mine is to plant and water. It's God that gives the increase. But I got to do my job right. I need to do my job, first of all, and then do it right. And then continue to do it in spite of the consequences, in spite of the results. Look at um, uh, verse 5. And when there was an assault made, both of, the, uh, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews were the rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, uh, they were aware of it, made aware of it, and fled unto Lystra, Derby, cities of uh, Laconia, and unto the regions that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So here's the recurring theme from 13 verse 49 through 14, verse 7. They preached the word of God. There were results. Those results were some believed, and some picked up and were adamant against. And because of that, they recognized the division that the gospel makes, and they kept on doing their job. They preached. There was division or rejection or acceptance, they preached, there was division, acceptance, or rejection, and the story goes on. Local churches were established because of it. Now, I give you that to ask you this question. Is the gospel worth the sacrifice that is often called for as believers present the good news? Is the gospel worth it to you? Is the gospel worth what might come along with it? And be careful when you answer that question. Don't answer it too quickly. We all know the right answer. The right answer is, of course, it's worth it. But the real answer might not be, of course, it's worth it. 
I'm afraid I might lose a friend. I'm afraid that my mate might not like it, so I'm going to be a secret believer. I'm afraid that my friends in the neighborhood might laugh at me or mock me, or the guys and gals at work might disown me and separate and stay afar from me. I mean, that's the honest answer. It's not the right answer. It's the honest answer. Saying honest isn't right? In this case, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. We can be honestly wrong. And too many of us too often hesitate to do the right and godly thing. The book of Galatians is better written to these cities in southern Galatia. This is where all of this happens. If you want to see more of the impact of this time, you could read the book of Galatians written to the churches of Galatia and see some more of the behind-the-scenes activity where Paul is writing to them and addressing specific issues about faith and about the gospel and about another gospel, which isn't another gospel. And, and some of this sort of gets embraced or, or, or filled out in thought as we read the book of Galatians. Here are the cities that Paul is talking about. Well, I see this, and let me give you a couple of ideas that I, I think spin off from this section of Scripture. The first idea is this, the preaching. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because, remember, it's cyclic. We have the preaching, we have the authentication, and then we have the results. I mean, that's basically where we're going with this. The preaching. We see it in um, four times in these 11 verses. The apostles are found preaching. We see it in 1349, in 14.1, 14.3, and 14.7. Here are some of the words that are used, if you want to see them. Um, published throughout in verse 49. And then we get to 14.1. And so spake. There, again, it's, it's all about the proclamation of the Bible. Um, in, in verse 3, 14.3, speaking boldly. Again, proclaiming the, the, the gospel. And then verse 7, it spells it out as clear as it can possibly be spelled out. Preach preached the gospel. So the words that they used in this proclamation are very clear. Here's a little bit more about it behind the scenes. Published throughout means to be born about or through an area. Literally or figuratively, they are carrying the words of God around with them, and that is their, their burden, in a good sense, to proclaim and to share it with other people. I, I am convinced. I am convinced. I am guilty of this. I am convinced that we get sidetracked. One of my favorite movies is a Pixar movie named Up. Have you ever watched that? Uh, it's just one of my favorite things. You know, I could, I could almost cry with it in the beginning where the guy loses his way. But as the movie progresses, we have the dogs, you know? And, and, and the dogs are ruff, 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 and then they yell squirrel. And all the dogs stop and look somewhere else. Squirrel. That's me. I, I'm like a squirrel. A squirrel moment. And I have good intentions, and I want to carry the gospel, and I want to be used of God, and I want all this stuff to happen, and then I get sidetracked. Squirrel. And, and, and I hate it. And I really hate it when I believe that I am in the midst of a divine, a, a divine encounter. And all of a sudden, something stupid 
captures my attention, and I lose track of where I'm going. Squirrel. We call it rabbit trails when we're preaching. I don't know, you never do rabbit trails. I do them all the time. It's terrible what I do. It's just terrible what I do. They're laughing. I know that they, they're encouraged. That, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I understand this. We need to discipline ourselves to carry the gospel without the squirrel moments. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? It's such a, a, a treasure, and it's so important that we carry it rightly, and we do it rightly. No squirrel moments. These folk, Paul, bore about this idea through an area. The area is the missionary journeys, and it's, it, it's literal. He, he was, I, I don't want to say possessed because that almost gives the wrong connotation, but he was driven. That's a better word. He was driven by the, 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 the importance of the gospel, perhaps, perhaps it would be better for us to reflect on how important the gospel is than to try and reflect on how we can dumb it down. It's important that we present it right, and it's important that we present it to others. Now, now that's a big deal. And without getting sidetracked and without compromising it, it's a big deal. Published throughout. The second word that's used is that idea of spake. Literally, he spoke about habitually. He habitually spoke about this. Paul was a master. He was a master evangelist, okay? Whatever happened, he always seemed to be able to get it back into the gospel. Um, there was a season of my life where quite, I'll be very honest with you, um, I love evangelists, I truly do. But if they're going to call themselves evangelists, then they're declaring that they have the gift of evangelism, and I like it when they use it. So when I was in pulpit ministry and would have a special speaker who was an evangelist come in, I would say, use your gift. I don't want a revivalist. I want an evangelist. That makes sense? Now, if you want to come as a revivalist, tell me you want to come as a revivalist, and okay, we'll promote it that way. If that's what your gift is and that's what we need, fine, we'll use it. But if you're going to say you're an evangelist and be an evangelist, I carry this over a little farther too. I don't believe that a missionary can start a church unless he is an evangelist. I don't know how it happens apart from that. Does that make sense? If you aren't going to win people to Christ, how are you going to get a church started? Which then ultimately ends up, how are you doing with your gift of evangelism? Where are the fruits? Show me what you're doing. Oh, you're being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. You're calling yourself a church starter. Start churches. Evangelize. How do you start a church if you don't evangelize? You can't evangelize, you can't start a church. I, I, I'm, am I wrong? I, I mean, it's sort of a simple thing, except we don't do this. We don't challenge these guys, and we need to challenge them. For their sake, we need to challenge them. If you're going to be this, then be this. We'll pray for you. We'll help you, but be it. And if you're not, then okay. Even us pastors, quite honestly, we're commanded to do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't mean that that's all we do, but it better be part of what we do because that's what God wants us to do. That's very, very important. They published throughout. They spake, they spake boldly. It's the idea to preach fearlessly. Some, some pastors, some evangelists, some missionaries, they preach, they preach fearlessly, but they preach stupidly too. 
Just, you know what I mean? It's like preaching fearlessly doesn't mean be dumb. It, 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 I, I think there's a graciousness in fearlessly. I think that it's the idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present this message to you, but I want to skillfully do it. I want to go into it with all the confidence of the Lord and the Spirit of God working with me to accomplish these things. That, that, that's, that's what's going on here to preach fearlessly. But we get some people that just go pull in the china shop, you know, uh, foot in the door, doesn't matter. You're going to hear the gospel whether you like it or not, and I'm giving it to you, and you better say amen. You know, and it's like, where is that in the scriptures? That's not what, that's not what we're seeing. Not at all. And then preach the gospel literally means preach the gospel. They were evangelizing. They were conveying the good news. Uh, I don't know who you have watching, but in case this is usable to anyone that's out there, the good news is simply this. Jesus took my place. He bore the debt of my sin account, the debt that I owed to a holy God because I'm a sinner. And he saves by grace, giving me what I don't deserve as I exercise faith, putting my whole trust in what he has done. He took my place. The substitutionary atonement is the theological term for it. He took my place. He bore my guilt. He paid my price. That's my Jesus. And when that happens, old things pass away and all things become new. He gives us the deposit, the earnest of the Spirit of God living within us. If you don't have the earnest of the Spirit, and you don't have a life that old things pass away and all things become new, you are not saved, period. See, that's judgmental. No, that's Bible, and you need to get saved. And we would love to share with you how you can know for sure you have eternal life. I'm sure this pastor, I'm sure these deacons, I'm sure they would love to have the opportunity to sit down with you and really go through Bible salvation, not religious church membership, not, not, not sacramental substitution, but real biblical salvation. Well, they spake these words with their meanings, and the content was real simple. It all drove to this place of of offering the good news. There's a second thing, though, that I see with this. In this passage, they preached, there were responses, and, and it ended up with division. And that's the truth. Uh, authentication. Well, let me get to the authentication first. Division is coming. How did the Jew know that what was being presented was real? I mean, how did they know? What were they, what were they to look for? Well, I, it says here that verse 3, uh, they gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, this is something in the book of Acts that was timely. I'm a cessationist. Um, that's the big word that says, I believe that there were some absolutely amazing and miraculous signs and wonders that were done while the Bible was still being given, while revelation was still happening. Let me show you this for a sh just a few moments. If you go to the very end of the book of Mark, now some people don't believe this is in their Bible, 
I happen to believe it's in the Bible, and I believe that it's very real and very timely. The very end of Mark 16, verse 20, it's talking about the followers of Christ. And it's after the Great Commission, verse 15. But here's what it says at the end. And they went forth and preached everywhere. This is that idea of forth-telling that we talked about this morning. They preached everywhere. Now listen to the rest of this. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's what they were expected to do. I would bring your attention to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It talks about the same thing. John chapter 4, verse 48. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you 1 Corinthians 1, 22 in just a few moments. But the authentication was simple. There were unbelieving Jews present. And the Jews were to require, they were required to seek a sign. If you're going to tell me that there's new revelation coming, God's speaking to us today, there should be some authentication to it. Matter of fact, I'm very concerned with some of the denominations that are out there today. I say this very graciously, as gracious as I can, but we have the whole Bible. Why do we need all these signs and wonders that everybody's looking for? And if we have the whole Bible and the purpose of the signs and wonders was to authenticate the Word of God, then who's giving the signs and wonders? And for what reason? Uh, those are questions that really do need to be asked. They, they really do. Well, let me, let me show you a couple things. This is always in the company of unbelieving Jews where these signs and wonders happen. Uh, Acts chapter 5, we see this. This will be a, an opening right out of the book of Acts that we're in. Acts 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch and of the, uh, and of the, durst, uh, and of the, something, I'm, I'm missing it, I have bad print. Durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Uh, basically, this is after signs and wonders were done. The people saw them. They saw the abilities of the apostles in the name of Jesus. And they, they, they gathered around. Uh, the, the church is growing. Remember Acts 2. Um, there are thousands that get saved. Acts, uh, Acts 3. Thousands more, 5,000 more added. Uh, 3,000, then 5,000. We have an 8,000 member church. That's not too bad in just a couple of preachments. Do that one? Uh-uh. Well, you need to be an apostle to be able to handle all of that, I'll tell you. But here we are in five, and, and once again, signs and wonders are being done. The believers, verse 14, were the more added unto the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick unto the streets, laid them in beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also multitudes out of the cities round about to Jerusalem, bringing the sick folk and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one, signs and wonders. John chapter 4, verse 48, Then Jesus said unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It was a rebuke, actually. But they were required to seek signs when 
the minute when when revelation was being given. First Corinthians chapter one verse seventeen through twenty four. Here it is again. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, we'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the words of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now listen to what he says. For the Jews require a sign. You go back in the law, they're told to look for a sign. This isn't just something that's being new revelation here. It's a protection for them so that what is given is authenticated. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block unto the Greeks, foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Well, we have this idea of the preaching. Four times in our 11 verses, they're found preaching. We have the authentication. God authenticates what's being proclaimed. This is new ground to these Jews. It's new ground, and the apostles are, are, are giving them what they are required to see. This is sign revelation, and, and you'll see it. You'll see it in, in Acts 10 with, with uh, Peter going to Cornelius. You'll see it where uh, throughout the book of Acts, when, when the word of God is preached, signs will typically follow. It's not at all unusual. Acts 2 would probably be one of the classic passages of that uh, as Peter preaches in, um, uh, in the temple. Well, let's look at the reaction. The preaching, the authentication, the reaction. In verse 4, it says the multitude, back in our text in verse 14, Acts 14, verse 4, sorry. But the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews, part with the apostles. So here is the first thing that we see, uh, the, the word of God. And we ought to expect it and we ought to be ready for it. Division is not uncommon when the word of God is proclaimed. It's not uncommon. Some of the religious will say, well, that's the word of God, so it must be true. Now they articulate it but they don't necessarily believe it. Others would say, I'll have nothing to do with it at all. It's all a mess, and I don't want it. I'm sorry for them. I'm sorry for the ones that just give lip service to it. I'm thrilled with the ones that embrace it and believe it. The idea of division is cleave, split, or torn. It just tears the whole company in, 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 into two pieces. Chapter 13, verses 49 and 50, there's another reaction. They're stirred up. It's the idea of uh, inflamed or incited. And in 14 verse 2, uh, it's, it's um, the idea of rousing up or exciting, instigating. That, that's the picture. Um, I, I don't know if you followed the news when, when all of this stuff uh, happened. You could go back to Ferguson. You can go up to Minnesota. Uh, with the Black Lives Matter and on and on. But there were groups that were there and rioted and stirred up the population. That's the picture that's going on here. They came in with a purpose of disrupting. 
the Jews didn't like Paul's proclamation of Christ. They, they wanted to stay by the law. They, they had their flesh that would follow all these rules and procedures, and they looked just right. We have Christianity today in our midst to do the same thing. Sure we do. Uh, I, I was raised in a particular denomination. That denomination to this day at a funeral will say, by their baptism, we know they're in heaven. I want to tell you something. By no man's baptism do you know that they're in heaven, period. It's not a sacrament that gets a person to heaven. It's faith in Christ and Christ alone. Might I remind you, there was a thief on the cross that never got baptized, yet Christ said, this day you'll see me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Where do they get this stuff? And yet they hang on to it so much because it, 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 it lifts up, it elevates the flesh. Look at how good I can live. Look at how good I can do. Look at all the sacraments I can keep. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did. And until we get there and keep looping back to that, there's going to be a stirring up and inflaming uh, and, inst and instigating a rousing up of a bunch of people against what we are saying and living. When I got saved, when I got saved, um, I, I went into two weeks of revival meetings at the church that I was attending. I got saved on a Saturday night. That Sunday started two weeks of revival meetings. It was supposed to be one, but it was so good that they, they kept it over and had two weeks. Who ever heard of two weeks of revival meetings or uh, evangelistic meetings? Well, I'll get my terminology right. That church prayed and fasted. They had what they called cottage prayer meetings leading up to it. Usually when I preach what I did this morning, I'll include this. You get, you get it as a tag here. But they, 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 pre they, they prayed and they fasted, and they looked for great things for God to do. The evangelist on his way to the church missed a turn. It cost him an hour and a half. In that hour and a half... I was on my way to go out and get drunk. I was on my way to get drunk. I had to drive right past the church. The lights were on. I stopped into the church and asked the pastor, Pastor, what do, what do, what do you, and here's my words, what do you Christians do to have fun? I was 23 years old, single. What do you do to have fun? The guy had enough good sense to look at me and say, Andy, to know what a Christian does to have fun, you need to become a Christian. I mean, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God just really, really grabbed a hold of me. I got saved that night. I got up in the morning, went to church, Sunday school, church, um, went back that night Sunday or to evening service, went over and visited my folks the next day after work and says, I'm going to church tonight. You want to come? You know? You go to church on a Monday night? What's the matter with you? Uh, well, this happened all through the week. Next week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Uh, Monday morning, my dad, who was lost, he looked at me that second week and he said, if you keep doing this, you're going to go crazy. He, he honestly, uh, and, and, and he was caring for my soul. He thought I was in a cult. He, he said, you're going, to, you're going to go crazy. And I looked at him and said, dad, what do you think it's going to be like in heaven? And we're with Christ all the time and believers all the time. He says, you're going to go crazy. Well, that's where I'm going with this. You see, 
it's not unusual for religion to stir up these kinds of responses. You keep serving the Lord. You keep talking about Jesus. You keep asking, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? You're going to go crazy. I want to tell you something. I'd rather be a nut for Jesus than lost and burning in hell forever and ever and ever. And I don't mean that in a bad sense, but you understand where I'm going with it. Yeah, why wouldn't we want to know what God said? Why wouldn't we want to be where Jesus is at? Why wouldn't we want to be with God's people? What in the world? I don't understand people that want to come to church and don't want to get baptized. People that want to come to church, they, they say they're saved and they don't want to be a part of a body of believers. I don't understand that. Why would you not want to? Of course you should want to. It's normal. Well, the Jews didn't like it. They stirred them up, they expelled them out of the city, and they planned an assault in verse 5. They were going to ambush them. They plotted to, to do him wrong. It could be either verbally mistreating, insulting, or stoning. That's how that word is used in other parts of Scripture. That's how bad it was. They were going to get rid of this guy that was preaching Jesus. Why am I telling you this? Folks, we need to be ready. Do you think it's going to get easier for Christians out in this culture? We have people that hate Christians that are overseeing a lot of space in the United States. Do you think it's going to get easier? It's not. It's not. Well, verse 6, we get to verse 6, and Paul and Barnabas, they fled. They took refuge, and it implies that they did it very hastily. Verse 14, uh, and uh, when they became aware of it, they fled to Lystra, Derby, and cities of uh, 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 Lyconian, and, and, and to the regions that lieth round about. They, they, they took shelter. They, they got out of the way. They, they got under the radar. And there they preached the gospel. They didn't get under the radar and stay quiet. They just got under the radar, but still preached Jesus. Let me give you a couple of take-homes. You've been kind. You've been here this morning. You're here this afternoon. This morning, we saw, saw what a church did. We saw some of the possibilities that a church could do if we pray and fast and we invest in our young people and we challenge our own selves to what God can do for missions through us. This afternoon, we're talking about the costs that might be involved in that. And we see some failure, John Mark. We see some success. The Apostle Paul, you keep reading on and you're going to find that the guy got stoned. When he gets stoned, he comes back. He goes right back into the city. The very people that stoned him to death, they thought, are the ones that he goes back and ministers to. As a matter of fact, on the second missionary journey, he's going to go right back through those same cities and check on how those churches are doing. He's, he, you might say, is the guy nuts? Is he crazy? Here they, they, they tried to kill him, and he's going back in. He cares more about their soul than he does about his body. He's a man driven with a holy mission, endorsed by a holy God, protected by a holy God. I think my Bible says in Matthew 28, at the very end, and lo, I'm with you always. We still have our Jesus. We still have the Spirit. We still have the Comforter and the Protector with us. Let's let God use us for his glory. 
You say, oh, I'm afraid of what might happen. You should maybe be more afraid of what won't happen if you don't get out there and serve as you should. Here's some take-homes. Using opportunities, there are going to be divisions with some hearing, some getting saved, and some resorting to harm. I can't help but think of the cancel culture today, you know? Uh, you want to stand for Christ, a good chance you might lose your place on Facebook. Oh, heaven forbid. How can I live if I don't have my Facebook account? Facebook. I have some ideas about that. Anyway, the cancel culture, Twitter. I, 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 don't, even know what, I don't even know what to do with Twitter. Tweet, tweet. Get out of here. You know? Who cares? Who cares? Honest. Um, the double standards that are out there. You live for righteousness, you're going to be banned. You live for ungodliness, you're going to be promoted. I, 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 can't, I cannot reconcile how they can do what they're doing. But this is, this is the culture we live in. Like I said, if, if you're going out into this culture and expecting it to be a bed of roses for you, no. Look out for this, the, the stems and the thorns, because that's really where we're going to be venturing. Walk careful. Walk careful. There's going to be plots and actions ahead. That's in verse 19. But you know what's interesting? With this, look at verse 19, chapter 14. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. How be it? As the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, my mind is a little warped here. I get a little bit animated sometimes, you know. But in my mind, if I would have been Paul, and I would have been stoned to death, and I would have been drugged out of the city, and all the disciples were standing around me, and I got revived, I think I would have said, surprise, you know, stood up and just... That was just to see if you guys were awake. You know, but I don't know how it worked. He probably was hurt. He probably was stoned. I would have, that's just me. Paul was far more serious than I am. But can you imagine, though, the guy gets up, and then here it is, verse 21. And when he had preached the gospel to that city, uh, he departs with Barnabas in the Derby. When he had preached the gospel of that city, had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. This is where it happened. He goes right back in, and he confirms the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We forget about passages like this in our culture today. Our Christian culture says, oh, everything is wonderful, and if it's not, we're going to dumb down the, the, the gospel so that it becomes wonderful. It's time that we... It's time that pastors... Not you. It's time that pastors start taking this into account and start preaching a true gospel and encourage people to go out and spread the good news. Because guess what? It's still good news. It really is. And in spite of what might happen, we need to serve the Lord. And then that's where 23 comes, ordaining elders in every city, and they go on. Folks, I, I, I want to tell you, the question really boils down to this. And, and, and this is one we have to wrestle with, and we have to be honest about. But the question is simple. Is it really worth it? Is the gospel really worth it? Is, is 
the gospel worth the sacrifice that's often called for as the believers present the good news? Is it worth it? It was to Paul. It was to Barnabas. It wasn't at first to John Mark. But I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm eternally thankful and eternally grateful to Paul and Barnabas because without them and without their missionary journeys, and add Silas in there and add Timothy and add Luke and, and, and the rest of the entourage that went with Paul in the later missionary journeys, without them, we wouldn't be sitting here today. We wouldn't have this technology today. We wouldn't be talking about this today. We wouldn't have it. Praise be to God, there were some people that were willing to stand up and take the licks for the cause of Christ and the ability to present the wonderful good news. I don't want to leave you with like doom and gloom. I want to remind you that through this passage from 13 verse 49 to 14 verse 7, the cycle was very clear. They preached, some believed, the Jews were stirred up, they preached, some believed, the Jews were stirred up, they preached, some believe, the religious were stirred up, and it hasn't changed. It's the same gospel, and we can anticipate the same outcomes if we stand faithful the same way as they did. Oh, let me encourage you, be faithful with the good news. Let's do some neat stuff for Jesus as he tarries until he comes. And may God bless us as we purpose in our hearts to do the same. Father, please bless this church. It wants to do good things for you. It wants to do great things for our great God. Please bless us as they do the same, as we purpose in our hearts, that though there might be some trials associated with it, all those that are godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer some persecution. But help us not to slow down with the persecution Help us to stand strong and to go strong, looking for wonderful results from our great God and our wonderful, our wonderful substituting Savior. Without his blood, Lord, we'd have no hope. Without his substitute, we'd have no hope. Without his willingness, we'd be lost in our trespasses and sins. God, thank you. Humble us sober us, and find us faithful till you come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.